Hi, this is Steve. And this is Lisa. And this is our podcast, I Married a History Teacher, mm-hmm. where me, Steve, a history teacher, teaches high school history lessons to my lovely wife, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Yep. Often the first time I'm hearing them, because uh, I tuned out pretty hardcore when it came to history and government in high school. So Yes, which exactly explains the whole point of this podcast, yes. which is we are anticipating you, if you are listening, you either forgot... Mm-hmm. Or never paid attention to this high school history lesson, but now that you're older, you'll probably appreciate it a little bit more. Yes, yes. or you just want to see how bad it gets some of uh, the adults walking around this earth and their lack of knowledge in U.S. history. Sure. Not just U.S., world history. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. My U.S. is worse, the worst, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest question mark, which is, you know. You know, I feel like that's rare. Most feedback I get is like a bunch of people being like, hey, like this is awesome. I never hear world history. Yeah. No, I mean, I think for me, it was probably because I had the international studies focus in college that I, you know, you get a bit more world history with that. So yeah. I think I, I tuned out of both in high school, but I just got more filled in in college for the, for the latter. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's embarrassing, obviously, because I'm an American. So. We all have our own journeys, too. You know? <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. Yes, and then some of us catch up publicly in front of everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. So, Lisa, I'm actually really excited about tonight's episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, we're getting back to basics here. Back to basics. And what I mean by this is the last three episodes mm-hmm. have not really been high school curriculum ones. They've been Game of Thrones, there's been the thing I can create about the light bulbs, and then there was the Baltimore one. High schools would benefit tremendously from all three of those. I agree. I agree. <laughs> they need that Essos and Westeros history. Um, but yeah, now we're back to sort of high school curriculum stuff. Okay? And the other reason I'm really excited about it, Lisa, is because it doesn't have to do, at least not too much to do, with Europeans going around doing shit. Mm. Like the vast majority of our curriculum lessons have been about. Okay, good. All right. Really switching it up here. Right. We're switching over to Asia, Lisa. Ooh. Guess what country in Asia we're going to be talking about totally arbitrarily. Totally arbitrarily. Um, I don't know. Philippines just kind of flashed in my mind. Philippines is incorrect. Mm, However, it is a very well-known island nation. It, yeah, it is a well-known no, island. No, no, no. Sorry. The one we're talking about today is, oh, also, oh. <laughs> is also a well-known Irish <laughs> island nation. Okay. Then it would be probably Japan. Yes. We are indeed talking about Japan. Okay. We are talking about a specific almost 200-year period in Japan mm. uh, where Japan was isolated from the rest of the world. Okay. There are two names for it. Two names. Edo Japan. Is what some people will know this lesson as. Edo Japan. Okay. Edo. Edo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other name people Which will know. Which is Edo, comma, Japan, as in it's the name of a city. No, 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 no. So this is kind of a huge misconception. I assume what you've talked, what you're talking about is the concept that Edo used to be the name of Tokyo. Yeah. So Tokyo, Japan. Yeah. But Edo was, it's called the Edo period of Japan. And during this time period, Tokyo was named Edo. Okay, so they liked the time period so much, they were like, we're going to change the capital. Yes, I, I, I probably And then we're going to switch it back again. Yeah, looked into <laughs> exactly why, what Edo meant, and it would probably make a lot more sense to me. Okay, maybe we can fill people in on that next, next uh, podcast. Guess you yeah. have to listen twice. Yeah, sorry, folks. <laughs> uh, but the other um, name this goes by this time period was called the Tokugawa Shogunate. Okay. And the Tokugawa Shogunate was what um, the name of the government was in this time in their hierarchy, their organization. 
Okay. All right. Now, Lisa, I said I wasn't going to talk about this tonight, but the, to know why, we have to know why Japan isolated themselves. Okay. Why do you think Japan was like, we don't want to talk to anyone. This is making us nervous. Well, I know we said we weren't going to talk about the Europeans, but... Yeah, you're right. I mean, is it all of the, you know, conquering going on? Yeah, yeah. It was all the imperialism and stuff. Mm. Um, Japan just sort of took a look around, and they saw what was happening to Asia, coastal Asia in particular, the uh, tiny Asians, like tiny tiny (laughs) Asian (laughs) islands, uh, like in Indonesia and the Philippines and stuff like that, and they saw what was going on, and they were like, we don't want none of it. None of it. We don't want none of that. They wanted to protect their culture, their religion, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, they um, Catholics were actually going into Japan and converting a bunch of people. And then, like, eventually, like, the government was like, no, 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 no. We are not a Catholic country. This is not mesh with our values. We're Buddhist. We're, like, Taoist. Get, get the hell out of here. Okay. Okay. So this is why we, they, they're, they're going to find themselves isolated. They don't want to be trading with any Europeans at all. They don't want European influence. Okay, so they just hermit up. They hermit it up real nice. Yeah, okay. A couple exceptions. They do trade with Korea and China a bit, and they even trade with the Dutch out of the port of Nagasaki. Okay. Um, but other than what, that, tulips? they're completely isolated. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's probably some tulips involved, right? Yeah, tulips and, are lovely. Yeah, if you're trading with the Dutch, you might as well be yeah, trading Yeah, they're like probably at least throwing them in just like as uh-huh. like a nice side gift. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Someone's got to be like, I want these at my wedding, you know. And once the word travels up to the Empress, yeah. she's going to have them and then it's going to be, never mind, never mind. Dude, you just bar. reminded me that I know an awesome story about the tulip trade in Amsterdam. Hmm. That we got to do an episode on. Add it to the list. Yep. It's going on to the list. Okay. So, anyways, they're trading slightly a bit. With Just a little bit with the Dutch. But nothing yes. major. Nothing major. For the most part, they are some of the best example of an isolated country we've seen in history, other than these couple exceptions. Okay. So, this is why we're learning about it in high school, because it's a very rare thing that occurred, even though it's a pretty well-known phenomenon. You know, you hear a lot about isolationism, right? But like this yes. is like the most extreme. This example. is like really well executed isolationism. Okay. And then the other reason we have to learn about it is because when the isolationism ends, mm. it is going to have a ripple effect that is heard around the world. And we will oh. get to that today. Wow. I really had no idea. Yeah. Okay. It's not just like, oh, we're done isolating now. Yeah, like the, some shit goes down. It's not just a turtle sticking his head back out. No, it's not. Yeah, it's that's not. A it ain't not. It seems easy for them. It would be that metaphor is more appropriate if the turtle has teeth, like a terrapin or something like that, like um, Maryland terrapin, like from the wonderful state that we're podcasting from <laughs> in Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> now uh, let's talk about um, the life that they lived. In, Toku, in the Tokugawa Shogunate, okay? Okay. So, Lisa, because they weren't trading with a bunch of other people, there wasn't a bunch of outside influences coming in. Yes. So you're going to see the development of, like, really unique Japanese art, architecture, gardenscapes, all that things. Wow. So when you think of, like, beautiful, awesome Japanese shit and art and, like, gardens. <laughs> poetic. Yeah. Uh, poetic. <laughs> a lot of it develops in this 200-year time period. Yes. Wow. Right. Okay. Well, that was... That was a lovely byproduct. Yeah, absolutely. There's positives and negatives of everything, for sure, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They also successfully largely avoided wars, and most importantly, they avoided being imperialized, which is the main reason that they decided to stop messing around with other folks. 
yeah, I mean, that's a huge, huge win. I mean, there's countries that still suffer from their their imperialist uh, time, so mm-hmm. that, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about the hierarchy, Lisa. Okay. The Tokugawa shogunate was very much a military hierarchy. Okay, when you have a military hierarchy, what that really means is there's a hierarchy similar to feudalism, with military rulers at the top of the hierarchy. I'm going to break this down for you. So it's just like each house, are has a commander in chief, or something. Mm, sure, you could think of it that way. It's a like little each bit different. lordship or whatever you call it. It's a little bit different. Okay. It's almost like I would describe it as. This might be a little bit off, but it's almost like the knights are also lords, right? They're like, they mm-hmm. have a lot of the power and the respect and the money, but they're yeah. not knights. It's Japanese culture, so they are called... Ninjas. Not ninjas, samurais. Samurais. Yeah, so there's a little bit of difference between samurais and ninjas. Are ninjas Japanese too? Yeah, Japanese. Okay, uh, okay. Ninjas are like, were like, like spies. They were like a hidden, what? like under... Yeah, like undercover crew of like people. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so samurai. Samurai like more Cruise. like knights. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> like Tom Cruise. Uh, but anyway, they weren't at the top. So let's let's be very clear here. That technically, the person at the top of the pyramid in Japan would be who? The equivalent of a king. What oh, an think? emperor. Yeah, good. Uh, so you had the emperor, but interesting, because it was a military hierarchy, mm-hmm. the emperor was like a figurehead at the top who didn't wield real power but was super well-respected. Like, in a weird way, it's almost not that different than, like, modern-day Queen Elizabeth II. Huh. Okay, so people kind of... It's more like they're, like, emotional leader a bit. Sure, you can think of it that way. Okay. A figurehead. Yeah. He's symbolic of the what yeah, Jap- Japan is great, right? Yeah, people look to them for comfort and leadership and yeah, you know, just yeah, yeah. a general sense of security. Sure. Okay. The person at the top with him that had the real power was someone called the Shogun. Okay. Shogun was a military head. It'd basically be like, you know, the four star general being in charge of a country. Okay. He was the had the real power, the 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 most respect. So it's a pretty militarized setup, yeah? Yeah, big time. Because remember it's called the Tokugawa Shogunate. So it's like a similar to saying a kingdom, a king rules a kingdom, a shogun rules a shogunate, right? It's not called the empire, it's called a shogunate. Mm, Very indicative. Yes. Um, Okay. Huh. Okay, so they're pretty militarized while being isolationist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just in case. Well, yeah, absolutely, just in case. That's part of the isolationism, Mm -hmm. right? Because you can claim you're isolationist all you want. I know. I was thinking about that. They just, like, (laughs) they just really make it clear. (laughs) We are isolated. (laughs) I declare isolationism. (laughs) That's a nice office reference. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad you you caught that one. Um, Okay. So... They're they're militarized because that's really what's enforcing the isolationism is is the idea that it is a very hostile place to step yes. foot. If a European, if some Portuguese wants to step foot on one of our ports, we will just straight up cut his head off. Okay. Right. It's and the ninjas or the samurais. This is the samurais. <laughs> just checking. Probably oh, that's not the pretty ninjas. cool, man. Japan got real cool during that. That's like when all their their yeah, that's their culture is so much of it. Yeah, well, let's let's find out what else was going on. Okay, okay, so, yeah. Okay, because here's the problem: the emperor is one person, the shogun is one person, and the samurais were extremely respected, extremely wealthy, and lived incredible lives. 
However, they were only about 5% of the population of Japan. Okay? Okay. Top so, 5%ers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 5%ers. Um, the next person on the on the totem pole, if you will, um, or I guess the hierarchy, I don't need to use metaphors. <laughs> um, you have peasant farmers. By really? definition, yes. wow, that is the next level. Now. Yeah, yeah, because it's weird because they have a different culture than what they have in Europe. Okay, it's not all about money at this time. It's about farming. It's a well, hold that thought. Okay. So peasant farmers were next on the list. Yeah. Okay, they had no money, but what they did is they produced so much that they were well respected in their culture. They were working and producing. Because they were working hard and producing a lot, they were considered to be... It was like there was honor in being a peasant farmer, even though you had no money. Okay. Okay, because you're like literally fueling the country. Yes, exactly. Okay. Now, below them, you had basically artisans and merchants. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Now, artisans, just real quick, like you basically lived a very poor, modest life if you were an artist. Um, unless you ended up getting hired by some sort of samurai or the shogun or the emperor, and then you could like make a nice name for yourself, and you were considered honorable because you were adding beauty to the island of Japan, hmm. of Edo, Japan. Okay. They're very big in giving what you can give back to the culture, what you give back to your society. Yes. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. Now, merchants were considered quite low, actually, but they were quite wealthy. So it's like huh. the job you have that if you want to be making you want to be making skrilla, you know, making cabbage, <laughs> stacking cheddar, um, but you weren't really respected in society. Huh? So it's like it's a it's very much a trade off. Yeah, it's like being like a really famous porn star in America, right? Um. It's like you're making money, but everyone's kind of like, well, that's weird. You're you're you know you're a porn star. Wow, that is that's an interesting um, comparison. Um, but I kind of like that setup. I mean, all of these positions you described, none of them sound that bad. I mean, obviously samurai is great, and they don't even have to really fight that often, at least from what I've heard so far. And then, you know, if, if you really just enjoy being giving back and being respected by your peers and don't need or want a lot of things, then you can go... Go ahead with the farming. If you're creative, you know, you always have at least the, the possibility to climb the top and be, be a samurai artist. And then if you're a merchant, then you've made an active decision what you value more and you get to pursue that as well. Yeah. So that's nice. One last thing before we move on about the merchants. Okay. The merchants were clever and they did something that I think is brilliant, which also leads to like the modern day culture of Japan that we know of. Because they weren't really well respected and like they didn't have the honor associated in Japan society, they didn't want to have too gaudy or too flashy of houses. So what they did is the outsides of the houses they bought were very plain and simple or like the apartments they had or whatever. But then when you walked inside of a merchant's home, it was loaded with all sorts of awesome, cool crap from around the world. And then they also built in really awesome hidden courtyards too. <laughs> So you'd think you're walking into this really modest home and you're walking into like the freaking, you know, an apartment in Versailles, you know what I mean? The people they're inviting in are other merchants? Yeah, think? it's yeah. probably going to be other merchants and artisans going in. <laughs> and also, one last thing, there are people outside of the hierarchy entirely who are like really kind of screwed and you really feel bad for them in the Tokugawa Shogunate. They're like prostitutes and geishas, you know, oh, geishas. Yeah. 
Yeah, so poor geishas didn't move it. Like, they didn't have anywhere to go. Entertainers, like actors and stuff like that, were considered, like, really, like, faux pas. Like, if you were entertaining for a living instead of producing, then you were kind of, like, the dirt of society. Wow. Okay, so my whole take was kind of off because there were some places mm-hmm. you didn't want to be in. Society. Right. But to be fair, your take was before I'd finished the entire societal frame. <laughs> yeah, well, so. that's uh, the perils of interrupting constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but okay. yeah, it's all good. And this is how the Japanese lived for 200 years, Lisa. Over 200 years. Very little changed. Hmm. Now, Lisa, in 1853, a single man I shouldn't say that. But a single man is credited with changing Japan entirely. This man was not a European. Guess what country he was from? Okay, so he's a foreigner. Uh, Change Japan. Yes. Yeah. There are people listening, like in their cars right now, just screaming this name. Yeah, sorry, guys. It's a tough one if you don't know. I really don't. Yeah, I don't even remember, like, I didn't even know that this was on the list of things we learned in high school, let alone the content. Um, uh, Yeah, sorry. His name Uh was Commodore Matthew Perry. And he played Chandler Bing <laughs> on the hit show Friends. I knew it. Yes. But no, seriously, his name was Matthew Perry. He was a Commodore. He was from the country of... If he wasn't European, what would a guy named Matthew Perry uh, be from? America. Yeah, the United States of America. All right, and he's going to show up in Japan in 18... Oh, this is why it's in our books. Well, no, here's a really interesting thing. Okay. Matthew Perry is actually far more famous in Japan than he is in the United States. He's a very rare occurrence of this happening. But, like, if I ran around the United States asking him if they knew who Commodore Matthew Perry was, I think maybe 20 out of 100 people would know. But if I went around Japan, I think 80 out of 100 people would know who he was. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so... I, I have nothing else to say, to be honest. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I no, thought... No, <laughs> I got fine. a little turned around there. Okay. Here's the thing. Let's talk narratives here. Okay. All right? Japan is isolated from 1640, essentially, to 1850, essentially. Right? Okay. Give or take a couple years. Okay. They're going to miss a major, major shift in the way humanity lives during that 200-year period that we talk about all the time on this podcast. There's two major shifts, Lisa. Industrialization. The Industrial Revolution, right? Yeah. In there. That's the answer. Oh, I thought you said Japan. two. Well, there's Neolithic, but that was in like 10,000 BCE, the Neolithic Revolution. Oh, okay. The next major shift is not... In Sorry, I misheard you. Yeah, okay, got yeah. it. All right, so we're talking about like 1750s-ish. We're going to start industrializing around in various places around the world. Okay, and Japan is not... Japan has no idea because they've isolated themselves. They're not reading the news either. Well, hell no, hell no. Proper isolationist countries do not read the news from England. You know, they're Even not the no, top dogs. Heck no. You know, the Shogun's not getting the, the man. merchants must be if their houses are filled with goods. From well, that the is the thing. Maybe if anyone knew about it, it was the merchants. However, the merchants were stacking that cheese, so they didn't really care that much. You know what I'm saying? It's like a merchant is trying to make money. That's what merchants do. They're not trying to like if run to the show. They're trying shogun. to make money. They're gonna keep their ear to the ground and hear about the latest innovation. You know, that, that's a fair point. <laughs> I bet at least one point. guy was like trying to find ways to bring that over. Yeah, that is a good point. I mean, I bet there is probably a crazy story out there about some Japanese merchant who, like, got ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
But anyway, the greater point here is that Japan really, really missed the Industrial Revolution. So eventually what's going to happen, after denying a bunch of trade and fighting off a bunch of Europeans, eventually Americans are going to send over about, I think it was about 20 ships. Okay? okay. Steel-clad ships that ran by engines. Guess what the Japanese ships were still running from? Wood and... Uh, sails. And, yeah, right? sails, yeah. Sails, right? So you, you have these steel ships coming in. And what do you know what the steel ships were ran by? Like what you like the what powered them? Motors? Coal. Oh, okay. Right? Because you're lighting coal. To, to, uh, for the motor. Tur- yeah. yeah, yeah. It's going to heat up the water and then the steam turns yes. the turbines. Yes, got a great uh, image of that in the Titanic. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? And when you're doing that, you're burning up all that coal and you're creating all this black smoke. Mm-hmm. So you can see it. If you're on the island of Japan, you're looking out into the ocean, you see all this black smoke coming in. That's what they saw first. And because they had no idea what industrialization was and what motors were and stuff like that. It was a sea monster. Close. What What else has smoke coming from it that's similar to a sea monster in Japanese culture? A dragon. There it is. Oh <laughs> yeah, they got to the point where these citizens of Japan saw these ships coming in, and they were like, "Oh my God, there's friggin' dragons coming!" Wow. And some there's like re- re- uh, records of people flipping out and like running inside and panicking, thinking that they're about to get invaded by dragons. I bet they were trying to grab their iPhone to get a picture. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Social media goals. <laughs> um, wow, that is. Is, sorry that I is that bad that I just think that that's just kind of adorable. It is in a weird sort like, of sad dark way. Yeah, no, I don't mean <laughs> to make light of the situation, but like I just love that they thought it was dragons. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it is kind of oh like I guess it's a little sad, but not really. It is kind of cute in like a naive sort of way. <laughs> yeah. It's like a grandparent seeing a touchscreen for the first time. Or something, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, so what, what that was is a bunch of American ships led by a guy named Matthew Perry coming in. And Matthew Perry did something very clever that Americans are really good at doing. This is like what I... It was later dubbed during the times of Teddy Roosevelt called Speaking Softly While Carrying a Big Stick. Okay. We did this to Japan. We just didn't use that phrasing yet. But what we did is we showed up with these ships. Four of them were big battleships. We pointed these gigantic steel ships with cannons pointing towards the uh, the island. The island. The uh, what are they called? You know the different ports. Okay. Okay. Um, and what we did is we went on land and we said, "Take us to your leader." Okay, and they misunderstood them. Long story short, they eventually made it to the Shogun. Yeah. And they had these demands. Mm-hmm. And they were asking, like, they we find wanna... a translator? Uh, you know, I don't know how exactly they worked it. I'm sure there's probably Americans that knew Japanese, because there's Japanese immigrants and stuff. Okay. Um, and they basically worked out this deal where Japan was no longer going to be isolated. They were going to start trading with the Americans. The Americans were going to get safe refuge if, like, they're, you know, stuff like fell out, uh, you know, the ships sank or, like, got into an accident, then they could be safe in Japan, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And that we're sitting there speaking softly, acting like we want to be allies, but really what's out in the harbor? 
Um, a lot of metal dragons. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of freaking dragons with like, you know, cannons facing their harbors and their ports and stuff like that. Yeah. All right, so the Japanese are going to actually agree to come out of isolationism and meet the real world. Okay. All right, wow. So we really forced their hand there. We did. Matthew Perry leading the the, the, the Yes. And we call this phrase a phrase for we call it the we call it opening Japan. Matthew Ooh. Perry opened Japan. Ugh, I don't like that phrase. Oh, yeah, it's almost... It's very forceful. It's a little rapey. Yeah, oh, God. Yeah. Everybody need to edit that one out. I don't know, it kind of <laughs> is, but, like, it kind of really does. It's like, it's, Ugh. you know, you're forcing someone and taking advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's going to happen next is something called the Mijai Restoration. Okay. And what the Mijai Restoration is going to do is the Mijai government will take over. They'll basically overthrow the shogunate. And their whole goal mm-hmm. is to update Japan. Get them to start acting like Westerners. And the goal of getting them to act like Westerners was to get it so the Westerners wouldn't want to, to imperialize them, but see them as equals. Hmm. And this also was successful in a sense that we did not carve out all these spheres of influence up and down Japan's coast. The Europeans didn't. We didn't. Okay. They were fine. Huh. As long as they adopted Western ways and traded with the West. And that's what they did, and they were really good at it. Now, here's the thing, Lisa. It's a little sad, but it's also pretty... I mean, they made a couple of really critical moves to not get imperialized. Oh, yeah. Really Smart survival moves, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm going to start wrapping this up with the real reason why we study... This isolationist, the real importance behind this isolationism in Japan, okay. is that Japan, they they're behind. They're about a hundred years behind Europe and the West in terms of industrializing. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're also a tiny little island. Yes, and they're trying to replicate the West when they're an island. Mm. Okay, do you know? Think about it, Lisa. You're a smart girl. Sometimes. What do you need to fully industrialize? There's a generic reason, and then there's more specifics. Uh, I'm going back to coal, but... Coal is one of them, yes. What else do you need? Steel. Yeah, you need metal, iron ore. So you need this coal, you need metal, Mm -hmm. you need all sorts of shit to industrialize properly. Yeah. All right? But your Japan... So they don't have that... They don't have all of that on their little island. That is one way to acquire natural resources. What's another way to acquire natural resources? Pirating? Stealing? Stealing, or even worse, you need more land. How do you get? Oh, you more imperialize! Land? Oh my God, that's why they started imperializing. <gasps> yes, we Lisa. turned them evil. God. Oh my God, they did some bad stuff in China, right? They did some really bad stuff. Yeah, and we're talking about way. This is also way before World War II, even that I'm talking about. So we, so the Mijia Restoration happens in the 1850s and 1860s, right? They start invading places like Russia and, um, oh, shoot, it's slipping my head. Manchuria, okay, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Korea. They start invading them in, like, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, They start a war called the Russo-Japanese War with the Russians that they lose right before World War I, which is another big reason that Russia is going to fall into communism is because they lost this terribly embarrassing war to tiny little Japan. Because Japan is trying to catch up. They're trying to get resources, and they're trying to industrialize and become westernized. 
Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So slow build, but by the end of it, it has a great point in it, right? Wow. It is just amazing how Matthew Perry could have such an effect on world history. Yeah. That is nutso. Well, I mean, I'm the U.S. via. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he made that one decision, yeah. right? But it is it is interesting how he is like this like very famous American in Japan. Wow. So do, do Japanese then kind of see that as like the start of like, I don't know, the, a fundamental change in their culture? I would imagine so. I can't speak on that. I know very little about the way history is taught in Japan, to be honest with you. Hmm. Um, But, I mean, I think it would almost have to be. It's just such a clear shift. It was such a clear uh, 200-year period in in their time that's just had such a hardcore declaration of isolate, like, from a government standpoint, to it ending in 1853 when they signed... There's a very specific treaty saying that they're done and they'll start trading with the West. Mm. Wow. That's really interesting. I get no idea. Yeah. <laughs> also, Whoops. keep in mind that their wars with China started well before World War II um, European times. Right. No, I know. So they've been fighting each other long before 1939 when the Germans invaded Poland. So like yeah. us in the Western world, we always claim that World War two started in 1939 Mm -hmm. but really the Japanese and the Chinese had been fighting for like a decade before that and it was all about Japan industrializing and trying to get resources that and hardcore racism against Chinese people wow wow no bueno no bueno that's correct that's crazy well at least no one we're not having any major one wars now so far. So far. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we're back to a little bit shorter podcast, a little bit curriculum podcast. Yeah. yeah You're okay. pretty European free for, for once too, which is nice. Yeah, although the theme remains, which is that, you're, well, American Europeans mm-hmm. mess some stuff up for some other regions of the world. <laughs> Oof. Okay. Okay. We haven't done this in a while, Lise. Mm-hmm. Talked a little bit of pop culture. Oh, okay, okay. What did you think about the spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, by the way? If uh, you haven't seen episode three, you can turn it off now. What did you think about the <laughs> Battle of Winterfell? Um, I thought it was epic. Um, and, I mean, I can't attribute this analysis to myself because I also watched inside the making of that um, episode on HBO. Um, but they, they really did... Um, keep it very interesting and and they and they explain in this making the episode um, that they use this kind of approach where there was different themes so the I think the first theme was was build up and tension and like making sure the audience felt the you know the absolute dread that that you would be facing in that scenario and then the second one theme was horror story and you know with Arya um in the uh you know kind of creeping around all of those whites um and then the third was action um and I, I don't know they just they 
it was weird hearing them describe it because I was like, you did exactly what you intended to do. Yeah. Although I will say they acted like it was like, they were like, yeah, by then you've totally forgotten that Arya's coming to kill the Night King. I'm like, I was not forgetting that. Everyone was literally about to die. I was praying that she was going to yeah. show up. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I think they like really, they were spot on. So Yeah, I thought it was incredible. Mm. I can't believe how much shade people are throwing their way on the internet. For that episode. Oh, is it bad? Yeah. I, I saw. I guess I saw some positive ones. And there's definitely been. Further. I mean, of course, thank God, there's positive. Like, because yeah. it was so epic. It yeah. was such an epic, such an entertaining hour and twenty minutes of television. Mm. And then, like, of course, we live in an era where like people are still going to be like, "Well, that was uh, bad." <laughs> mm. Just like. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Were we watching the same television show? Well, I mean, I think there's a good argument to be made that it's still, it was very, it, it's not of the original Game of Thrones, right? We're in this new era where everything is very produced and, you know, there it, it's a little fantastical. You're like, really? Did, sure. Did Jon Snow really survive that again? To that, I'll say, read the books. Mm. Entertain yourself by reading the books if you want to be all like, but like, this is a television show. That they've paid, they've they've sunk millions of dollars into. No, I know, but I'm just saying to make it, it entertaining. That's true, but they also started the TV show off much differently. So I mean, it is it has changed to be a fan. Like it, the what the product you expect is a bit different. So Absolutely. I don't really blame them for that. Um, the other thing I realized in the kind of the behind the scenes stuff was um, that. I was always under the assumption that while J.R.R. Martin hadn't finished writing all the books, that he had a very clear idea of exactly what happens toward to, to the end. Because, you know, you hear about these fantasy creators and they have, like, insane backstories in their minds and they, like, it's all woven out for them. But the way that, that um, shoot, I don't remember their names, but the main the creators of the show yeah. were talking about it, it was clear that they were kind of determining the ending. They were like, we decided it was going to be Arya a few years ago. I was like, yeah, what? But, but, but everybody knew. Like, everyone that was in, like, the real know oh, knew that, that Martin was no longer really writing these shows anymore. Like, he was more of a consultant than he was, like, being like... But really? Stuff. But he didn't have, like, a clear ending, at least? He didn't even know it was going to no, no, kill no, no, the no, Night no, no. King? He claims that he does have a clear ending in his head. He just hasn't written it. Okay. It but just seems like they decided that Arya kills a Night King, well, and I... But that's a major look, plot look, point. The, the last thing that happens in the books, think about how long ago this feels, is Jon Snow died. Right? So then you don't have the books to go off of anymore. Now it's the show writers that are writing the show while trying to stay as true as they can to the books without knowing what happens in the books. But I know, but I'm just saying, I feel like J.R. Martin would have known that Arya is going to kill the Night King. And they acted like they made that call. I think they absolutely did, though. I think if he ever ends up writing the books, I think there's no way in hell Arya kills the Night King. Really? Absolutely. No way. Wow. That's just how I feel. But there was a lot of foreshadowing they pulled from. Yeah, but there's also a lot of foreshadowing that doesn't mean shit in that That's show. That's true. It's like almost <laughs> like it's like it's like it's, fake shadowing. Yeah, yeah, and they can, and it's oh man, that's kind of I just realized that it's yeah. like perfect because it gives them a million possibilities mm-hmm. and it gives people a million uh, distractions when they inevitably only pick one foreshadowing path. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, still that I liked the choice. I yeah. thought it was cool. It was great. I want a couple things explained in the next three episodes, but uh, no complaints from me. It was an incredible, 
Mm. Incredible single television episode. Cool. It was awesome. Yes, it was. All right. Okay. We finally kept it short again, Liz. We did. We did. Yeah. Let's sign out of here. Um, By the way, just real quick before we head out, Lisa and I realized that it wasn't a seconds countdown. It was some sort of uh, musical clock when we were recording on GarageBand that we didn't understand what the timing was. That's why we had two really long episodes in a row. So we're trying to get back to our half hour-ish. Yeah, and once we on this uh, new way of measuring time. (laughs) We'll we'll figure it out one of these times. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but anyway, thanks for tuning in again. Uh, we love y'all. Thanks for listening. Uh, my name's Steve, and I was a history teacher. My name is Lisa, and I married him. <laughs> <laughs>